I'm actually going to read a few verses back to back really quickly. And I think you're going to pick up on the theme pretty fast. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. For the Lord has done, somebody say great things. The Lord has done great things. Now, therefore, 1 Samuel 12 and 16, you don't have to go there. Just trust me. I'll read it for you. Now, therefore, stand still and see this, somebody say, great thing. Come on, somebody say it like you mean it. See this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Psalm 126, 1 through 6 says, A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Last one, Psalm 126 and 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are glad. For a few moments, I want to minister on this topic. God wants to do something great. Come on, do you believe that? God wants to do something great. Come on, do you feel that in this place right now? If you believe that that's the case for our nation, for our world, but you also believe it for yourself, would you just pray that prayer with me right now? God, I believe that you want to do something great in my life. I believe you want to do something great in my church. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. God, you want to do something great in my family. And so I'm asking, why not today? Why not now? Why not me in this moment? Lord, let something great happen at Stello Church today. God, if you want to do something great, I pray that you would be able to do it with this generation and with this people. I speak it in the name of Jesus. Come on, look at your neighbor and just point at him and say this. God wants to do something great. Come on, point at your other neighbor and say it like you mean it. All right, we'll accept it. You can be seated. Acoustics are too good in this room. It just muffles everything. That's what I'll blame it on. I wanted you to really yell at your neighbor. This was your chance to get some aggression out, and you didn't take it. But don't worry, there will be other chances to do so. I have to attribute this message that I'm about to preach to... Uh, and we were arguing over how old he was, but either 88 or 89-year-old man. Uh, this man that I attribute this message to today is one that was, is and, and was well-studied. In fact, uh, he's done over 60 years of ministry and, and pastoring, and, uh, and he's been gracious enough to lend me and, and give me book after book after book. And uh, some of you, the majority of you, have no clue who I'm talking about. But I will tell you, my beautiful, precious wife right here on the front row and my beautiful, precious brother-in-law right here on the front row. Come on, guys. I call my brother beautiful and precious. That's a good time to laugh. Are you, you tracking with me today? Okay, let's stick. He's, he's not. I mean, he is a good-looking guy. Let's be honest. I don't know if I'd call him beautiful, but I'd definitely call him precious. He's a precious, precious man. Their grandfather, Bishop Mendenhall, about every time we go to South Bend, Indiana, uh, he has a library full of books. There's some at the church where he pastored. There's several at his house. There's some in the garage. They're just, just about everywhere that you can imagine. And so Bishop Mendenhall will bring me in, and, uh, and he'll ask me, do you want, you want any book you can take 
this book. And so it was a few years ago that, that there was a very unassuming book on the bookshelf that he handed me, only about 90 pages long and not much larger than an iPhone, a very, very, uh, what you would call uh, not the best branding. You could see that it was dated, it was old. And on the very front, it said this title, something along these lines, The World's Greatest Revivals. The world's greatest revivals. And he said, Devin, I want you to take this book and I want you to read it. And here's what I can guarantee. You're not going to be able to put this book down. He said, in fact, whenever I first read this book, the first thing I did is I called the publishing company and I had them print, I can't remember how many hundreds of them, and send them to me so that I could give them out because this book will change your life. Well, I will tell you that I was a little skeptical because I looked at the book, I judged a book by its cover, so to speak, and thought, man, there's no way. But I will tell you that when I cracked that book open and I begin to read Essentially what the book was and is, and I still have it to this day, is page after page they would go through and they chronicled the greatest revivals over the last four or five hundred years in Christianity. And if you don't know what I mean by revival, let me go ahead and give you my definition of, of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a revival that may have looked like a region or a country or even a continent where Christianity may have not been known, but there was a preacher or a movement that came in and it spread in such an amazing way that it literally changed history enough that it would be recorded. But it wasn't just to countries of people who had never heard the gospel oftentimes in fact the majority of the time when you read about the revivals throughout this book and I'm going to read a few of them today it was a resurgence it was Christians who had grown so cold that their culture had fallen into a mediocre Christianity but there would be a group or a voice that would stand out among those that had grown cold and they would preach with fervor and with passion and because of their prayer and their fasting it literally would change the way that a people thought and approached God in their Christianity. And as you read these accounts, which I, like I said, I'm going to read a few today. I'm going to attempt to hopefully bring something to you that will be enlightening and enjoyable today. But as you read these accounts, can I just tell you what you realize is this, that God has always wanted to and today still does want to do something great. God wants there to be a change in America. God wants there to be a change in the world. God wants to do something so great that it changes everything. And as I began to read this, I realized that God, if you could do it in the 1700s or in the 1800s or 1900s, why not now? Why not in this nation and in this day and time? And I think you'll feel the same thing that I feel, that God still wants to do something great. In fact, I'm going to read the first story. And it's literally a chronicle of what they call in history the first great awakening. The first great awakening. In the mid-1700s, the fact of the matter was Christianity had grown cold and people were drifting from the roots and from commitment. And in the midst of a culture that was declining in its moralism and shrinking in its church attendance, the church added insult to injury with the adoption of what they literally called. Now watch this. This was in the mid-1700s. They called this covenant in the Protestant church the halfway covenant. Now, that should throw up a red flag right there, right? The halfway covenant. 
And this is what the halfway covenant was. It stated that parents could allow their children to be baptized and not profess openly their faith as long as they did not live, the parents themselves did not live scandalous lives. And therefore, the child would then be adopted or added to the list of the eternally secure. No matter what their behavior was later in their life or what their lives would eventually produce, the idea was that they could ride the coattails of their parents' commitment as long as their parents didn't live scandalous lives. But nearly 70 years later, not one person, not one man was in the place it felt like that they should be in, except for a few scattered here and there. Some preachers that would preach with fervor and passion, but for the most part, Christianity had grown cold. But there was one individual who stood up in the middle of this very cold Christianity. And he was unsatisfied with the lack of God's presence in his society. And so, before he ever preached a message, he began cultivating a life of prayer and fasting. His name was Jonathan Edwards. And as a child, Jonathan Edwards, history tells us, literally built a treehouse in the woods to which he would retreat and pray unto God. After years of ministry, Edward still found himself fed up with the run of the mill preaching. And he began to shake the world with his sermons that were birthed from prayer. What we find in history is that this one man got so sick of mediocre Christianity that he found a prayer room. And rather than studying himself into a pulpit, he prayed himself into a pulpit. And this is a literal historical account. I'm quoting. Men gripped the pews in front of them and would burst into writhing tears as the conviction of God hit them as Edwards laid out the weight of truth upon their shoulders like a pile driver. You see, something changed when Edwards went to the prayer room. Something changed when a man got tired of mediocre, casual Christianity and said, God, we need a manifestation of your presence. In fact, history would tell us that after Edwards would preach in their towns and cities, that that night on Sunday evenings throughout the towns, conviction was so strong that in it, the Spirit of God rested upon individuals in such a weighty way that people could not sleep. They would wake up on Monday morning, go to work, and be talking about, the message that changed their lives. Eventually, the revival would become so strong and so amazing that it would spread to over 100 cities in the newly formed Americas. In fact, what you will find in history is men of clout like Benjamin Franklin would come from very, very far away to lean in and to listen because they understood something is changing our country right now. And it's not men in position. It's not men of title. It's not men of power. It are its individuals who are preaching with conviction. When I read stories like this, I am reminded that God still wants to do something great in this nation, in this day, and in this time. I understand that today is a little bit different. But when this message hit me, I'm just telling you I couldn't let go of it. God wants to do something great. God wants to do something great. Which brings me to my first point, which is this. God wants to do something great collectively. He wants to do something great in our world. God wants to do something great in our nation. But hear me, God wants to do something great in our community. And I believe that more than I've ever believed it. 
that God wants that same spirit of revival to sweep across the triangle area. God wants that same spirit of revival to touch the 5401 North community that we are sitting in today. He wants it to be that individuals that don't even understand the Bible, they can barely get their mind wrapped around it, feel the presence of God in such a strong and mighty way that when they lay down at night, they say, man, something is changing on the inside of me. And maybe there would be some in this room that would be skeptical. I know I can find myself in the role of a skeptic very often. Especially, and maybe even skepticism is a little bit harsh of a word. But the fact of the matter is, we doubt ourselves. We doubt our ability. We often feel a lot like the children of Israel when they looked and they said, we are but grasshoppers in the sight of our enemy. When we look at the culture that we live in, when we look at the tide that seems to be washing so strong in the wrong direction and the current of our society moving so fast in the wrong direction, we think to ourselves, God, are we relegated to a small revival of just fragments and pieces? I'm here to tell you that I believe with all of my heart with everything that is within me, that God has not relegated His church in this final day to some small, fragmented revival. And I'm thankful for every individual in this room. But what I believe and I cannot shake, and I know that I will not be able to sleep tonight if I don't preach it, is that God wants there to be a revival like Joel spoke of when he said, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And it's not just for your parents, but it's for your children. It's for your sons and daughters. There's going to be words of prophecy that go forth. Can I tell you, Stello Church, we are no ordinary church. But I believe that there is a wellspring of revival that we are sitting on. I felt it today as we were worshiping. And I believe that it's more than just the four walls of this church. I believe that it's going to spread into our workplaces and into our communities. I'm speaking it in the name of Jesus. And can I just tell you, I speak against every spirit of doubt. I speak against every spirit of fear. God has not given his people a spirit of fear. God, let us take off the shackles and the chains of doubt and believe that if you did it in the mid-1700s, you can do it in the 21st century. You can do it right now. I want a revival. I want God to shake me and stir me. I want God to do something in our nation. I want God to change our school system. I want God to change our communities. I want God to begin to stir people to a place where at night when they lay down, just like that account that I read of, they begin to flow, the tears begin to flow down their face, and they say, God, i got to think about eternity. I believe it's for today. And yes, I doubt, and you doubt, and we think, how could it be us? We don't have enough charisma. We don't have all the resources that we need. Because listen to me, this very, very strong millennial church, we have been taught, probably explicitly, but certainly implicitly, that the way that you have a movement, the way that you have something great take place, the way, the way that it works is you have to be resourced. You have to be well marketed. You have to have all of the things in place and then you will begin, the pendulum will begin to swing in the right way. But hear me, when you read the accounts of when God does something great, seldom, if ever, does it have anything to do with the resources of the individuals. 
It always has to do with someone who is committed. In fact, I will read a, a revival from 150 years after the one that I just read of, that first great awakening. This revival started in the year 1900, and it was, it was called the Welsh Revival. Around 1900 or 1901, a group of young people, young people, who believed God and wanted Him to do something great, began praying. The leader of the revival was 26-year-old pastor, Evan Roberts, 26 years old. History tells us that Evan was woken up repeatedly at 1 a.m., night after night, where he would begin to pray from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Now, can I tell you, God lets me sleep normally. I'm thankful for that. But if it takes a 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. prayer hour to bring the revival that I'm about to talk about, I would rather it be 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., but me and God can negotiate. But he began to pray from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Night after night after night, it lasts months and months. Evans was so overwhelmed with a burden for his country that it felt unbearable and it led him to a life of passionate prayer and fasting. I hope you're seeing that commonality. And for nearly five years, he and a group of faithful church members, which were mainly comprised of young adults and young people, committed themselves to fervent prayer and fasting collectively. Evans was not known for his extraordinary speaking ability. Thank you, Jesus. He was not known for his charismatic leadership, but he was known to be faithful in his preparation, spiritually speaking. Finally, after years of prayer, I just believe something was building. History tells us that in 1904, the gates of revival busted wide open and God changed the country of Wales. History records that in 18 months, watch this, around 150,000 souls were converted to Christianity in the small country of Wales. And the atmosphere was completely transformed. This is a historical account. Men stopped cursing. Bars went out of business. Churches were full. Abuse and fighting ceased. And people consecrated themselves unto God. All because there was somebody in a small group that got serious about revival. Which brings me to my second point. That any great thing that happens collectively always starts individually. Yes, God wants to do something great collectively. He wants to do something great on a large scale level. But any great effort, any great thing that God has ever done has always started with one individual. Has always started with a small group. In fact, we call ourselves Stello Church and I alluded to that earlier. But can I just tell you that first century church that was birthed in the book of Acts in chapter 2, the scripture says that there was 120 gathered in an upper room. And in fact, you could rewind even further back and realize that it was only 12 that Jesus took a hand handful of disciples and yet somehow in that small small beginning he birthed an incredible church because what we see is that 120 that were gathered together in one mind in one accord as they were praying the scripture says that it was time on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come that the spirit of God swept into that room and it spilled out onto the streets here's why because God will use individuals in his own strategy and 
on the day of Pentecost, the reason it had to be fully come, as the scripture says, is because it was on that day that nation from nation from nation were gathered together to celebrate this festival. And the Bible says that that 120, they begin to spill out. Now, you and I, if we were there that day, all we would see was the result. What we don't realize is that there were weeks and even months and years of preparation that were taking place, just like we saw here in Wells, is that it takes time for something to incubate. It takes time for something to begin to stir and to build up before the pressure finally is released and the revival takes place because the scripture says that when that 120 begin to spill out, every man heard them in their own language as they begin to speak with tongues and then 3,000 were added to the church that day. Something collectively happened, but it started on an individual level. Can I tell you, Stello Church, it is not God's will that we negate our place in his grand plan for revival. It would be so easy for us to write ourselves off and say, what does it have to do with me? What, what, what big deal is it? I'm just one person. Let me tell you, all it takes is one person to start a movement, to start a revival. If they will get consecrated, all it takes is one church plant to flip North Raleigh upside down. All it takes... All it takes is a group of people that get serious about prayer and say, God, we're tired of -of run-of-the-mill, casual Christianity. We're going to commit ourselves, no matter how radical it may seem to our culture. I would rather be given to you than given to something else. And I know from that something great can be birthed. Something changed in my microphone up here, Jared, if you could put it back. See that? See that smiley face? I don't know if you can see it right there at the bottom. Pastor Devin, smiley face, Stello Church. It's very small. That was the face I was making at Jared when I said that. That's the, that smiley face is for you. Anything great that happens on a national or a widespread platform always begins individually. Joshua 3 and 5 says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. God wants to do a great thing. But what it takes, God wants to do a great thing tomorrow. But what it takes is consecration today. What it takes is a church that says, God, I'm willing to lean in to whatever you have, man. And you know what I'm preaching as much as anything right now? I'm preaching a commitment message. Because the the type of church that we are, the type of church that we are building, what we know and believe that God has for us in this day and in this hour, I'm just telling you, it cannot be birthed casually. It cannot come easy. It is not the will of God. And yes, I believe that God is going to send people from every corner of this, of this region. And we're going to step in and we're going to say, God, we don't know where they came from. But let me tell you something. If we boiled it down, we actually do know where it came from. It came from people who had committed themselves. And they said, God, we believe that if we consecrate, we believe if we say no to the world and yes to you, that you can do more in one moment, in one hour, in one day than we can do in all of our human efforts, all of our marketing efforts, God must birth the revival. And can I just tell you, Stello Church, I felt it today. I felt it in this room. I'm just telling you what was going on in this room, the breakthrough in the worship. You don't get that in every church house in America. There's something special about a church who's leaned in to the manifestation of God's presence and say, Lord, you can show up and do whatever you want, whenever you want. Forget our agenda. 
And I feel God's spirit in this room right now. Let me tell you something. It is absolutely the will of God that something changes across this nation. It is absolutely the will of God that we begin to birth churches that are so strong and so fervent in the spirit that when people walk through the doors, I know it's a little bit old school, but I love it when somebody walks in and they say this, I felt the difference the moment I stepped through the door. Come on, people ought to feel the difference. They don't know exactly what it is, but we know what it is. We've saturated this place in prayer. We've saturated our lives in holiness. We've saturated our lives in consecration. All it takes is one individual. Let me tell you a story about a man who is at the roots of what we call the apostolic movement. This message that we preach. In fact, uh, it's interesting because... because Oftentimes, whenever I make the call for baptism, I'll say, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, today's your day. And we've been baptizing people. How many is thankful for all the people that are getting baptized in Jesus' name? If you've made that step, man, thank you. That is, I mean, I thank you, but listen, you did yourself a favor by doing what, by following the scripture and doing what it says. And so I'm thankful that, man, Emilio, I just got to brag again. If you were at leadership retreat and you heard this man's testimony, I need to hand him the mic and let him preach Jesus' name baptism to you because if anybody knows it, gets it, it's him. And I'm thankful for for somebody who is so humble and open to the word of God like this. And you represent one of what I believe is going to be many people who are hungry for more. But can I tell you, that's that's not an exclusive experience to 2022. You can go all the way back to the early 1900s in the midst of these revivals. Literally, while this revival is happening in Wells, simultaneously in, the, in those following years, you have a great pouring out in Azusa Street, which is where Pentecost hit America. But also, it wasn't just in Los Angeles. Me and my father, we talk a lot about, the, or lately we've been talking a lot about the roots of the apostolic movement. And one of the historical figures that you can go back and look at was N.A. Urshan. I have an autobiography written by him. My father and I were discussing this. Urshan was somebody who was baptizing in the titles Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is what we would know as the traditional method. I don't know, unless you consider the Bible the first tradition. Uh, And so Urshan, he began to read the scripture and he saw that Jesus' name baptism was the only way anybody was ever baptized. Because we understand that when in Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, Go into the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they immediately, just weeks later, went out and baptized in Jesus' name. Now, this is something that has discombobulated many Christians. Because traditionally, and this, is what, this is what I was referring to earlier, When you see something and God speaks to you, it doesn't negate what you have done up to that point. But oftentimes we are so anchored to the past or to individuals in our past that when we see the great thing that God wants to do, we are not likely to do it because we don't want to offend somebody in the past. This is exactly where N.A. Urshan found himself. Exactly where he found himself. Because what you read in his, in his autobiography is that he was already doing missions works in the early 1900s. He'd gone to modern day, what, we call, what he called Persia, which was, honestly, if you look at his missions work, it spanned all across the world. It's truly amazing. From Russia to the Middle East, he truly was an incredible, incredible character. But in the midst of that, God shows him Jesus' name, baptism. He sees it in the scripture. And so, here's what he does. This is a true story. He puts kind of what you would call old school fleece before the Lord. If you don't know what that means, you're probably better off. (laughs) He 
puts this, this, this option before God. And he says, okay, God, I see Jesus' name baptism. I have baptized all of my converts up to this point, Father, Son, Holy Spirit titles. I've been baptized that way, but I can't shake this. Tomorrow, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. If one of my congregants wants me to baptize a certain way, whatever scripture they bring to me and flop their Bible open and go, baptize me this way. If it's Matthew 28, 19, then I'll, I'll use the titles. But if it's from the book of Acts or any other scripture where it said, in the name of Jesus, because we understand that the name of the Father is Jesus, the name of the Son is Jesus, the name of the Spirit. I meant to say that earlier, forgive me. And so if they show me that, I'll do whatever. Would you believe that the next day a man came to him and he said, Pastor Urshan, he said, I want you to baptize me. And this is what he did. He said, but I want you to baptize me this way. He flips the Bible open. And can you imagine how much anticipation must have been in that pastor? So he flips the Bible open. He points to the book of Acts and he shows him in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Pastor Urshan looks, and he's got 30 or 40 congregants that he's already baptized. And at this time, it's early 1900s, they baptized in a river. If you want to be baptized in a river today, if that's the stipulation you have, uh, I'm just going to tell you, I think you're crazy because we got the warm water. we got everything that you need, okay? But they got baptized in a river. So all the congregants, this is a true story, go down to the river. And Pastor Urshan looks at the 30 or 40 that are there and the one that he's about to baptize. And he says, listen... I have baptized him, I'm about to baptize him in the name of Jesus, but you all, you're good. You've been baptized. You've been baptized, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the reason why, and he explains the revelation of Jesus' name baptism, which is a very simple explanation. And this is exactly how they baptized every single time in Scripture. This is the normative way to be baptized, for there's power in the name of Jesus. He explains it to them. He baptizes him. And it's awesome, it's amazing, and guess what? The 30 or 40 that are there say, okay, pastor, it's our turn. And Pastor Urshan says, no, listen, I already told you guys, this is my interpretation, I'm sure it was a lot better than this. Listen, I told you guys, this is just for him from this point on if we change it. And they were so adamant about being baptized in the name of Jesus that they had to go back to the church where they then had a prayer meeting. And Pastor Urshan believed this. He believed that if we pray about it, by the time we get up praying after an hour or so, everybody will have their conscience cleared and we'll be good to go. So guess what they did? They prayed for an hour. They got up. Everybody stood up. Powerful prayer. And they said, okay, we're ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So what do you do when God wants to do a great thing? But that great thing that God wants to do breaks the tradition, not the Bible. In fact, it's in alignment with the Bible. And isn't it amazing that when you want to do something great that is in specific alignment with the Scripture, the first people that will attack you is not the atheist or the agnostic, but your Christian brothers and sisters. Because often the enemy of greatness is not what we would classify classically as an enemy. But the enemy of greatness, of what God wants to do, can become that mediocre, casual, mundane Christianity that we've all, all had a temptation to live before. And so what did he do? He takes them all down and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And would you believe 
that the 30 or 40 that were down there at the river would be a part, just an individual. I'm sure when he was baptizing, he wasn't saying, I'm about to start a movement up in here. God's about to do something great collectively. This is going to change the world. No, he wasn't doing that. He was just being obedient to the word of God as an individual. And can I tell you, your obedience as an individual to the word of God, it can end up opening doors for others that you had no clue about. And so I tell you again, God wants to do something great collectively, but it has to begin on an individual level today. And can I just tell you what I feel in this house is that there's somebody that God has been speaking to you and it's not just baptism. There are several things that are in the Word. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've been, been fearful or skeptical of God moving in that way in your life. It is time for you to follow the leading of the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit of God because today God wants to do something great for you and He's going to start individually. But here's what I know is if you'll be obedient to His Word, if you'll step up to an altar and put both hands in, an air, in the air and say, God, I don't know what you want to do, but I'm willing to receive it. What will end up happening is not only will you receive, but it's going to touch your children. It's going to touch your family. It's going to change your neighborhood, your friends, and the people that you're connected to. Because when God does something great in you, I'm just telling you, it's contagious. It can change everything around you. It I know I'm preaching today. I understand I'm a little bit excited, but you got to get where I'm at. I believe that God wants to change North Raleigh. I believe that we are just scratching the surface of the revival that God has for Stello Church. I believe in the name of Jesus something is about to happen.